Well, good morning, Parkview. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a bit of an interesting morning today. Uh, Thomas Hoke was supposed to be preaching today, but he woke up very sick. So he is not preaching. And instead, we have one of our elders from East Campus, Len Brooks, coming to preach to us this morning. And uh, the situation, I think, is a perfect snapshot of the type of man that you are, Len, and why we love Len Brooks so much at this church. Because he is a man, godly man, who loves God's word, loves God's people, and loves teaching God's word to his people. And specifically, he's the type of man who is humble and willing to serve the Lord in whatever way the Lord calls him. And the Lord called him today to sub in for preaching here at Central. He'd already prepared a sermon for East, but he kindly said yes to coming here and preaching. And so we're so thankful for you, brother. Uh, 1 uh, Thessalonians 5 says that we ought to highly esteem and love the shepherds, the elders among us who uh, labor and work so diligently to make us mature in Christ. And so that's you, brother. We highly esteem you and love. So please come and preach God's word to us this morning. Well, good morning. It's an unexpected joy to see all of you this morning. And uh, I'm glad I didn't hear about this last night. I probably wouldn't have slept a wink. But uh, I love, oh, and also, I would have loved to have seen Wade or Thomas preach this this morning. But I'm, I'm praising God for the opportunity. I love some of the, the, the concepts that we sang about. Jesus, the Lamb of God, Messiah, the lion is roaring. Why? Because he's bringing outsiders. He's bringing outcasts. He's bringing us into his kingdom. And then we sang about the love, the love of Jesus. We're forgiven. He offers forgiveness for us. And this is the love that sought us. And this is the love that's seeking outsiders all over the world. So I, I am Len, one of your elders, and I do have the privilege, privilege and the burden to share with you this morning. So let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this marvelous story that reveals your heart the heart of your loving son, Jesus, also, to the lost, the outsiders, and the outcasts. Well, Father, we want your truth, producing transformed lives that reflect your heart and the heart of your son for the lost, by the power of your spirit, and for your glory. Amen. So turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verses 11 through 13, the parable of the prodigal sons, or the wayward sons. And I said sons, not son there, okay? We love a good party, don't we? But parties can be complicated. By, they're complicated by people who love to separate, okay? And we think about, well, is, is, uh, can Tom sit with Harry? Will Dick come if Sue comes? And on it goes. The question of who's in and who's out is not a new problem. First century Jews struggled with this. 
Gary Berge in, his, in Jesus, the Middle Eastern Storyteller, writes, First century Jewish society carefully measured insiders and outsiders. Its strong cultural habits, its religious dietary restrictions, its, relax, or its reflex to mark who was clean and unclean, and its rigorous separation from Gentiles, each contributed to an instinct to separate the world with considerable zeal. This leads to a problem. In a culture that values separation, a principal problem arises. How do we treat those on the margins? Gentiles, laughs Jews. What happens to those whose choices, often poor choices, make them unacceptable to the values of the insiders, like the Pharisees? Should they be scorned and rejected? The Pharisees said, yes. The evangelical church today is not immune to this natural tendency to separate. When I was in college, way back before computers and cell phones, there was a problem with hippies. Hippies were the young people associated with the counterculture of the 1960s. In, in a time when everyone wore their Sunday best to church, barefoot, bell-bottomed, pot-smoking hippies were a problem for many in the church. And today, it goes on. We experience separations over race, politics, sexuality and gender, uh, and even the wearing of masks. And we separate from the world, from outsiders. In perhaps his most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus confronts this problem head on. It's a beautiful story which pictures of, which paints a pivot, uh, vivid picture of a loving father receiving his sons. It's also a painful story if you are a parent who has a prodigal child. But the story gives hope. No matter where they are or what they've done, there's a heavenly father waiting to receive them with open arms. It's an often misunderstood story, as can be noticed by the variety of names that are given to it. The parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the loving father, the parable of the loving father and his two sons. But the focus of this parable is not the prodigal. The main focus is on the father who represents God's lavish love for outsiders, the outcasts, in contrast to the unwelcoming attitude of the older brother. This has been repeated, a repeated theme in Luke and also in the parables we've studied. And the point we will discover is this. If we want Parkview, Parkview Church to flourish, we must have God's heart for outsiders. Now, to study this text, we'll look at the situation, the story, and the so what. We'll read the text as we go. So what's the situation, the reason for Jesus' story? Now remember, this is a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus told to create a, a vibrant image for the listener in order to make a point, to answer a question or issue that is raised in the context of the parable. So ascertaining the question or issue leading to a parable is crucial to understanding the parable. So what prompted the stories? I'm glad you asked. 
It's not as if Jesus came up with a couple of good stories and said, hey guys, let me tell you a couple of good stories they just came up with. Wasn't that? He had a purpose. Luke sets before us the reason for the parable in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, where he writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke 15 begins with a description of Jesus' social world. Tax collectors and sinners have been following Jesus for most of his ministry. Tax collectors were the traitorous and hated Jews who profited from collaborating with the Romans. Sinners are those who broke the law, were unclean, who had abandoned full commitment to their Jewish heritage or life. They were all outsiders to the Pharisees, but not to Jesus. He accepted them. He loved them. He partied with them. And the Pharisees grumbled. And that's dangerous when you're dealing with God. So in essence, the Pharisees are thinking, Jesus, if you really knew God, why would you party with those people? Jesus answers, do you think you know the heart of God? Let me tell you three stories. And we're looking at the climactic third story. In this parable, we'll learn Jesus' answer to the grumbling of the Pharisees. So the story, to help, to, to keep on track with me as I tell the story, we'll, we'll study the parable in three acts. The first act will be verses 11 through 19, which is the rebellion and return of the younger son. The second act is the lavish love of the father in verses 20 to 24. The third act is verses 25 through 32, the rejection of the older brother. So to understand this parable, some other cultural factors need to be kept in mind. First century Jewish culture was a shame-honor culture. Life was all about gaining or maintaining honor and avoiding shame. The second thing to remember is family is everything. Family loyalty was paramount. And third, to dishonor the family is huge. And so from a first century Jew's perspective and from the Pharisee's perspective, the story that Jesus tells is dripping with shame. So let's look at Act 1, which focuses on the younger son. We see the son's disgraceful request, his disastrous journey, and his desperate return. So let's look at his disgraceful request. In verses 11 and 12, he, Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to him, said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So the son shamefully asked his father for his inheritance before the father died. Normally the inheritance was given after the father died because it was his future security for the rest of his life. But this ungrateful son couldn't wait for his father to die. He wanted the things of the father, but not the father. He said, Dad, I wish you were dead. But since I can't wait around that long, can you give me the inheritance now? When the listeners of the story heard this, when the, when the Pharisees heard this, they were shocked. He did what? 
inconceivable, unheard of, how shameful. But surprisingly, the father responds by giving him what he asked for. And in so doing, the father sacrifices security for the future. He gave the son one-third of all his possessions, land that had been the family for generations, maybe all the way back to Joshua's time. And he also gave one-third of his future security. And in so doing, his standing in the community went down. Uh, I lost my place here. Let me find it real quick. Oh, there I am. Okay. His standing in the community dropped from shame and decreased wealth. So this cost the father plenty. Now note, this was an unprecedented act of love. Culturally, the father was expected to refuse and punish the rebellious son by beating, exile, maybe even stoning. And again, listen to the Pharisees. Their shock grows. The father did what? Inconceivable, unheard of. How shameful. What a wuss. So the son got what he wanted. Money and independence. But what, what happened next? And we go to scene two. We read in verses 13 to 16. Not many days later, the young, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. That's probably a big understatement. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Imagine that. And he was hoping and he was longing to be fed with a pause that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So he received the younger son's disastrous journey into shame. He liquidated part of his part of the father's covenant land, unheard of. He went, so, went to a far country and in so doing, he cut himself off from the covenant land and religion and went far away from his father and the social network of his family. He squandered his wealth, demonstrating he had left the covenant principles of wise and righteous living. And then a famine hit. Things went from bad to worse. He worked for a Gentile who told him to take care of pigs. Now, for a Jew, he was about as low as he could go. He was lower than a snake's belly. And he was an outcast, an outsider, cut off from his family, no friends, alone, starving, dying. That's almost metaphorical of what a person is like before they come to Jesus. So as, as the Pharisees listen to the story, they're just getting angrier and angrier. So this boy is at his wit's end. What's he to do? We read in verses 17 to 20. But when he came to, his, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. 
So we see the son's desperate return. He came to his senses. That is, he saw the reality of where he was, and it wasn't where he wanted to be. He turned around. In other words, he repented. And he made a plan and went home. And can you imagine how worried he was about the reception he was going to get? You know, we identify with him. We've all been there. We've been in the far country away from God, even as believers. Will he receive us back? And the tension rises in the story. So he heads home. What does he think? What does he find? Something far different than what he expected. So Act 2 focuses on the father's response in verses 20 to 24. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, but the father kind of went, shh, 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 shh. And he said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What an unexpected turn of events. How did the father respond? Like Jesus did, like our Heavenly Father does, with lavish love and grace and mercy. When he saw the son in the distance, he ran, and, and to do that, he had to bare his legs, and that's shameful for a respected Jewish leader, an elder. Culturally, he should have waited with dignity for a humble confession and restitution. Why did he shame himself that way? Out of sheer love and excitement. And when he came to his son, he kissed him and hung on his neck. Such an exuberant show of emotion, undignified. Amazingly, he did not require any punishment or any restitution. Totally unexpected. And then he restored him, the son, to full family status. He got the best robe, the ring, and sandals. And the father celebrated. The father was full of joy rather than anger and vengeance. And he vividly pictures the amazing heart of God for outsiders like us. Now, how might the, how might the listeners, listeners have responded to the Father's love and grace and mercy? The Pharisees, again, he did what? Inconceivable. What a wuss. But the outsiders who were listening, what were they thinking? Wow, what a father. So a son is lost, found, and, and celebration began, just like in the parable of the sheep and the parable of the coins. But this story is not finished. Another element is added, the response of the older son. What will it be? So we turn to Act 3, which is the focus on the, on the older son. Starting in verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this, these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, 
And your father has killed the fattened calf because he was received back, he is received back safe and sound. But he was angry. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I slave for you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. So the elder son shamefully rejects his father and his brother. He clearly does not have, does not have the heart of his father. His actions shamed the father in many ways. He refused to accept his brother and join the celebration. Now, culturally, he should have been the MC of the celebration. Everybody noticed that he wasn't there. He talked instantly to the father and he said, look. He refused the father's gracious entreaty to join the party, shaming his father further. But not only, not only were his actions shameful and wrong, his attitudes were unloving and shameful to the father and to his brother. He was angry at the father for restoring that no good son and celebrating his return. The older brother felt entitled and cheated. That other son of yours did not deserve this party. I did. I slay for you. You owe me. Sometimes that's the way we think about God. We've served him so long in a ministry, but then we see this other person who hasn't served so long or so hard, and they get this wonderful thing that you wish you had. God, you owe me. We can do that. So in contrast to the older son's angry retreat or treatment of his father, we see the father's loving, gracious response. He says to the older son, and he said to him in verse 31, he said, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. He treated his elder son in the same way he treated the younger son, full of love, mercy, and grace. And his reply to the young, older son was primarily a cry from his heart to his son's heart that the son would understand his heart of grace and join the party. But clearly, the son did not understand his father's grace and mercy. He did not have the heart of his father. Do we? And the story ends. And the listeners then and the readers now are left to ponder, what did the older brother do? What, what will the Pharisees do? Well, let's speculate just for a moment. This is not inspired, okay? This is not in the scriptures. Well, let's see. Okay, so it could have been the, the old Disney ending, okay? That the older brother entered the party, took his place as MC, welcomed this brother and honored his father, and everyone lived happily ever after. Problem. If we know anything about the Pharisees and the subsequent events in Jesus' life, that's probably not the answer, probably not. A more realistic answer would be something like this. In rage, the older son grabbed the club 
and beat his father to death. Why might that be the, the, the real ending? Because that's what the Pharisees did to Jesus in just a few months. So what? What do we learn? What, what should we do? What's the parable all about in its context? Well, remember the question the Pharisees had for Jesus? Jesus, if you really knew God and were a good rabbi, why would you party with those people? In essence, Jesus answers this. Do you think you know the heart of God? God's lavish, loving heart is for these people you reject. Why do I party with these people? Because my Father loves them and wants them to join his kingdom party. And if you really knew God, you'd join the party also. Also, each main character in the story represents something in reality. The younger, lost son represents the outsiders, the outcasts in the Pharisees' world and in our world today. The father represents God with his lavish, loving heart for outsiders. The older brother represents the Pharisees and all self-righteous people who do not welcome outsiders into the God's kingdom. So an important lesson can be drawn from each character. So God is throwing the biggest and best party ever. It's called the kingdom of God. It's a party full of joy and it's open to anyone who trusts Jesus as their savior. How should we respond to that reality? First, be like the father in the story. The central point of the parable is the father's heart for outsiders. We should have the heart of our heavenly father for outsiders. Secondly, don't be like the older brother because he didn't have the heart of the father. Third, be like the younger brother when repentance is needed. Anyone can turn to God and find forgiveness and welcoming arms waiting for them. Well, let's focus on that first lesson. Be like the father. Have his heart. Have Jesus' heart for outsiders. But how can we have his heart for outsiders, especially when there's some people that we're uncomfortable with? Right? Well, here, here's a bit of a roadmap. Five tips using the letter of the word map. But this word map has four Ps. Okay, I had to cheat a little bit here. Okay. So it's M-A-P-P-P-P, okay? Oh, well, let's <laughs> we'll, we'll skip that. Okay, uh, so the M is this. Oh, all together, they are meditate, approach, party, ponder, pause, and repent. Meditate on God's lavish love. Approach out, outsiders with the heart of God. Party in, 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 in the party with those inside, well, let's say, in the church, let's say, with the heart of God. Party with the heart of God. Ponder, how can we be more welcoming to outsiders and outcasts? Pause. Stop being like the older brother. Repent. When we need to, be like the younger brother. Okay? So let's focus on, let's go. So first of all, meditate on, on the heart of God. 
Now, in the parable, we, we see two aspects of his heart. His lavish love and grace and his exuberant joy in celebration. So meditate, first of all, on God's lavish love and grace for outsiders. God's costly, lavish love and grace toward outsiders is seen most vividly in the cross of Christ. And it says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What amazing love that is. So, let me illustrate with a story about Maria and her daughter, Christina. Maria's husband died suddenly and tragically, not long after she gave birth to her daughter, Christina. She raised Christina alone with the help of God, and she looked forward to when Christina grew up so that she could help take care of the rest of the family. But Christina had her eyes on the big city. Maria tried to dissuade her, but one morning, Maria found that Christina had gone in the night. Sound familiar? Maria, with the heart of a mother, determined to bring her daughter home. She packed a small bag and went to the big city, not knowing where to go or what to do. Before she left for the big city, she made a set of photo prints of her face. When she got to the big city, she went to the bars and the seedy hotels and posted these pictures of her face, the pictures of her mother, of the mother. Then she went home. The big city had not been good to Christina. She went to the big city with stars in her eyes, but the stars soon turned to sand. She would have gladly traded a cot in her mom's house for all the beds she slept in. Late one night, Christina stumbled out of the hotel room and saw a picture of her mother. She grabbed the picture, and after she, she gazed at that picture with the, the, the loving face, and she gazed with longing and, and, and tears of regret, she wondered, can I go home? She turned the picture over, and on the back, she read in her mom's handwriting, Christina, wherever you are, whatever you've done, I love you. Come home. One Friday, some 2,000 years ago, on a skull-shaped hill near Jerusalem, God gave us a snapshot of his heart as his son hung on the cross. He said, wherever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. I love you. Come home. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, I love you. Come home. Are there any better words than that? That's the heart of God. That's the heart of Jesus for us and all of the lost, both the ones in in-groups and the ones in the outside groups, the outcasts. So are you meditating on the heart of God? When you meditate, consider not only his love and grace but, but toward outsiders, but also meditate on God's exuberant joy. Joy when outsiders become insiders and come to his party. See, we don't think of God as joyful as, as a partier, but he is. There's a, there's a party going on in heaven right now whenever someone comes to the Lord. That means there's a party going on all the time. What's the major source of his joy? When people turn back to, to him and join his party, he celebrates. 
So that's the M. We might mean I get through all the P's, okay? But he, the A is approach outsiders with the heart of God. How can we have the heart of Christ for a person who enters Parkview but with whom we are uncomfortable? This discomfort could be for many reasons because, well, we're different. Different race, different culture, different politics, different gender issues, beliefs, health, economic status, or maybe they hurt us. Maybe they let us down. Maybe they abused us. And for whatever reason, we're having a hard time forgiving. Or maybe we're just fearful. We just don't know how to engage. We want to, but we don't know how. It's a battle in which the Holy Spirit is crucial. This battle is about the choice between lovingly serving others or protecting ourselves. Taking on the discomfort and serving this other or protecting myself and being comfortable. Think about this. Grace, the heart of God, is choosing to be uncomfortable in order to make ourselves. Oh, no, let me read it again. Grace is choosing to be uncomfortable in order to make another person comfortable. That's a, a wonderful thought by Sam Oberry. That's the battle we have, and we need the Holy Spirit's help to make the right choice, to choose to be uncomfortable and serve another rather than choose to be comfortable and serve ourselves. Oh, time is running by. Okay, here's one party. Okay, one P. Party with the heart of God. In joyful celebration over outsiders brought into God's, God's party. Now, where do we do that? We don't have to wait for heaven to join the party. We can celebrate now as we gather on Sundays or in our community groups or whatever group of believers you're with. We celebrate our great God when we sing. We celebrate when, when visitors come. We celebrate when someone trusts Christ as Savior from sin. We celebrate when a new believer is baptized. We celebrate when believers become members. We celebrate when children are born and when believers die. We celebrate our Lord's heart for the lost in the Lord's Supper. So when we get up on Sunday morning, our attitude should not be, oh God, it's morning, it's Sunday morning, and I gotta go to church. It should be something like this. Good morning, God. It's Sunday morning, it's time to party. The last P was repent. Perhaps you've never joined God's joyful kingdom family. Perhaps you don't realize that God is inviting you to his party. He is. But there's a requirement to get in. Your rejection and neglect of God has got to be forgiven. Perhaps you're like the older brother who thinks you're good enough for God and you don't realize your need. Reality says you're not good enough. And you, you have a desperate need of forgiveness from God. So we entreat you, join the party. Trust Jesus as your Savior from God's condemnation. He's the ticket to the party. 
And God is waiting with open arms to welcome you to his party. And for the rest of us, you know, we've all walked away from God at different times. Sometimes we struggle with, with uh, habitual sin or whatever it is. Repent. God is waiting with open arms to receive us back. So God is throwing the greatest party ever. In his lavish heart, the party is open to anyone who turns to him, even those we think are outcasts, the outsiders. Are you going? And are you bringing others with you, especially including the outsiders in your life? For Parkview to flourish, we need the heart of God for outsiders. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess that all too often we are like the older brother in our actions to the outsiders in our lives. Forgive us. Change us by your spirit so that we have your heart, that we have Jesus' heart for those outsiders. Do this for the flourishing of your kingdom, your church, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.